We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Uh, before we get started, I just want to give a big rest in peace and uh, well wishes to the Bozeman family. Obviously, Mr. Black Panther himself, Chadwick Bozeman, passed away this weekend. And I uh, just wanted to mention that before we got started today. Uh, joining me as always is Alex. Alex, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm uh, doing good. Uh, huge bummer with the Chadwick Bozeman news. And uh, I uh, read an interview, I think, that he did about two years ago uh, where they were talking about him bulking up and it being challenging and you know him saying stuff like yeah you have no idea um and it was just kind of a sort of heartbreaking but also just uh i guess the lesson being you know you never know what other people are going through and uh right that was kind of what i took away from it but uh yeah rest in peace it was just crazy to learn like you know he was diagnosed in early 2016 which means he did you know black panther two avengers movies uh, 21 Bridges and this Netflix movie, all while battling stage three colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So, 42 and get you on. Know, it, it, yeah, it, it was just you know I, I couldn't believe the amount of of just you know toughness and 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 courage that a person could have. And obviously, it speaks volumes to you know his friends and people around him that this didn't leak out. And you know he was willing to to kind of just 
you know, keep on without having any, you know, focus on him. And, you know, he was just able to, to beat the, beat the battle of the, of the beast, so to speak, and, and keep going. Um, you know, other tough news, obviously not as tough as someone dying. Uh, Derwin James, unfortunately with, uh, with another injury, um, there's been conflicting reports so far, you know, so there could be some clarity in the coming days, but, um, Adam Schefter first reported that it was a hamstring strain, and then uh, Ian Rappaport said it was a potential meniscus tear, uh, and he could be missing significant time. So obviously we're hoping for, I mean, you never hope for any kind of injury, but you know, I be would love to have it be a hamstring strain right now. Um, what was your initial reaction to finding out about the injury and uh, just your overall thoughts about it? So my initial reaction was we got the report from Fernando where he was kind of grimacing. Uh, he was grabbing the back of his leg. So immediately I thought, okay, you know, it might be hamstring, something like that. Then Schefter reported, okay, yeah, it is a hamstring string. So I was thinking, all right, you know, he might be out a couple weeks, but it's not the worst thing. Then Rappaport reported meniscus, and that's where I was like, okay, this could be a really extended period of time now. So that's concerning to me. Um, I don't know whether it's a meniscus or hamstring strain. I guess we'll find out whenever the Chargers uh, tweet about it in terms of the injury report. But um, definitely just terrible news, uh, especially if it's a meniscus. And that's going to put the Chargers pretty behind the eight ball now um, in terms of what they need to do at strong safety and free safety. So you know, and honestly, you know, I tweeted this, but, you know, I'm a Chargers fan, but I feel worse for Derwin, right? Just because this is, yeah. you know, second season in a row uh, where he's probably going to have an injury that keeps him out two, three months, you know, if, if we're talking about a meniscus. And that's just a huge blow to his career. And I um, I, 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 I honestly pray that, that, that it's not that bad. Yeah, it, I feel so bad for him because, you know, it's been – reported and commented on several times that this is his team now you know he, he's kind of taking the the mantle of face of the franchise you know phil rivers obviously carried that for uh 17 years and so everybody said you know this is derwin's team now and, and then you know again this could be there could be some backtracking and maybe this does end up as a just a hamstring thing you know we don't really know but for derwin's sake man that's just you know you're you're about to ascend into this you know, elite level of player that's going to be around for decades. And, and then this kind of happens. And um, Joe Reedy from the Associated Press actually said that he did have a meniscus problem in college mm-hmm. as well on the same knee. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that he can avoid surgery, that this isn't a big of an issue as the foot was last year. Because um, if he misses 11 games again this year, that would just be so really just unfair for a guy of his of his talent and of his character right um yeah i guess we'll see what the official term is for you know how long he'll have to be out i believe Rappaport tweeted that if it is a meniscus so there's a four week option where he could uh, have meniscus trim and then come back basically in a month uh and then there's an option in which you know it would be a longer term similar seemingly with what he had last year being out two or three months but making full recovery so those seem to be kind of the options right now and uh, i'm sure that derwin will go back and forth with the medical staff and see 
what they think the best option is. I also probably his agent, um, David Mulgetta, what he thinks the best option is, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of negotiating in terms of which one to choose, just because it's a unique injury, right? It's not, it's not an ACL where it's like you know if you tear your ACL you're done. It's an injury yeah. that has some legroom, but like you know if you choose a partial meniscus recovery then that opens you up to maybe a higher injury risk in the future. But if you choose a complete recovery, then it's like, well, you know, you're going to be out a longer amount of time. So right. it's it's definitely a challenging position that he's in. Yeah, you know, we just have to hope for the best. In terms of on the field, um, we'll talk about maybe the potential of signing someone. But in-house, you know, I think obviously no one player the Chargers have is going to replace Derwin James because he's such an elite player and he's so good at really everything you know he's such a good cover safety he's a great blitzer he's a great tackler he's great in cover and in, in deep leverage as well so you know the chargers don't have two derwin james it's just the reality right. of the situation um you know alohi gilman is slated as the backup strong safety i think the idea of him starting for an extended period of time is less than ideal for me i would think that the better option would be to kind of just you know, you have this rotating, essentially a, a revolving door of players. You know, you can put Desmond King there for a little bit. Want some physicality, some tackling, you can put him there. Want some, co- if you have going up against, you know, Travis Kelsey and you need a, a better cover guy, you can put Nasir Adderley there. You can rotate in Gilman if you want. You can put uh, Jenkins at strong safety. You can put, and then put uh, Adderley at free safety. So if I were in charge of this right now, I'm kind of going through it and and really just giving everybody reps at that position instead of only putting Alohi Gilman. Like last year, we only saw Roderick Teamer mm-hmm. there. And I think this year that would be a mistake. Yeah, I think it would be a mistake this year just because you haven't had a guy that has played and had that experience. Granted, Roderick Teamer didn't have experience when he was starting to. Right. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think the option that makes the most sense is just putting Rayshon on a strong safety and then putting uh, Nasir at free safety. Uh, the thing I will right. say about Nasir, though, and this gets in a little bit into the Earl Thomas discussion, that uh, the tweet that Ian Rappaport posted, is that, you know, you're going to be banking on Nasir being the free safety, uh, you know, a starting safety role, and he hasn't played a snap on the field. Right, and that's that's a lot to ask, I think, of Gus Bradley, who, you know, he just saw Ken Wisenhunt get kicked out the door last year, uh, and while I don't think his job is nearly as on the hot seat as Ken Wisenhunt's, right, you know, you're asking Nasir Adderley, who I think they have high hopes for, but he hasn't taken an NFL snap, you know, we don't know um, really what his NFL potential is, and, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of time it takes to adapt to being on the field and all that, so, you know, I just think it's a lot to ask of him to, to trust Nasir Adderley from day one with no previous NFL experience to be the free safety, but that might be the situation it comes to. Um, that's why, you know, when we get into free agent options, Earl Thomas is a name that's come up, obviously, with Ian Rappaport's uh, report. I am a little bit, I think, more in favor of Earl Thomas than you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it just because, you know, I think Earl, you know, I think he could succeed in Los Angeles individually because he is familiar with what the Chargers want to do because of his, uh, obviously, his relationship with Gus Bradley. I just don't think that that helps solve the problem of losing Derwin James. To me, it adds more moving parts. 
you know, then you would absolutely have to put Rayshon Jenkins at strong safety, um, which isn't the worst thing in the world. But then, you know, you're not taking Earl Thomas off of the field for Nasir Adderley to get reps. And so it just kind of creates a bigger logjam at free safety. And I, I know that Rayshon Jenkins, you know, isn't the most popular guy, but he just switched to free safety last year. And so putting him back at strong safety permanently, you know, it just doesn't make me feel confident in, in his development where he would have to basically roll learn a whole new role and play a new position. And then again, you know, you're going to see Adderley's off the field more and Desmond King is off the field more. So to me, it would make more sense to get, I don't want to say like a backup death piece, but like, you know, bring in Tony Jefferson to kind of, you know, serve as another rotational piece where he's not necessarily needed to be the guy at strong safety, but he can come in and give you 10, 15 reps a game and, and be serviceable. I think to me, that makes more sense than signing Earl Thomas. Yeah, I like Tony Jefferson. Uh, Eric Reed is another name that come, uh, came right. up. Uh, Morgan Burnett is a name I like. He uh, was from Chicago, uh, is a free agent right now. Uh, decent strong safety, has some good tackling skills, even though his coverage is a little bit lacking. But um, So, yeah, I mean, honestly, we're talking about replacing Derwin James. So <laughs> there's, there's not going to be an option right. where... We, we solve all the problems because none of these safeties are as good as Derwin James. That's that's just the reality. Right. But I think out of the options, I'd probably like some, you know, what you said, which is signing a Tony Jefferson, a Morgan Burnett, Eric Reed, somebody who can uh, kind of be that depth piece, strong safety, maybe back up. Um, you know, uh, I think that that's a good option for what they should do right now. I, I don't think I hate Earl I would hate Earl Thomas as much as some Chargers fans. Uh, I get the locker room cancer thing and all that, but I mean I think Earl knows he's on his last couple chances also, so there might be some motivation True. there. Um, so I I wouldn't totally be against signing him to a one year deal, especially if his market's a little bit dry right now. Um, and then you know maybe you know you can see what you want to do with free safety with Nasir. Um, but I don't know. I, I, the Nasir thing is just, I think that's challenging the position he's in now because he's expected to contribute immediately, uh, at free safety. And that's, um, that's really tough for a guy, you know, as I said earlier, who just hasn't had that NFL experience. Yeah, I definitely think it puts him in a tough situation. Um, you know, I, I think again, I think just the, the idea of adding more of a veteran depth piece makes a lot more sense. Um, in terms of the Earl Thomas locker room cancer thing, I do want to kind of clear that up for people because, you know, some people are, there's nothing concrete, you know, this is all just kind of speculation from reporters and writers, but, um, apparently he was late all the time in Baltimore and, you know, he got into several altercation with teammates, uh, during his time there. And then we all know how the situation in Seattle ended, you know, he was at a standstill for several months and then. As he got injured, you know, obviously he flipped off Pete Carroll and, and the rest of the sideline. So um, we know how it ended in Seattle and it ended poorly. And obviously it ended poorly in Baltimore, but that is more of speculation right now. We don't really know. Um, so like you mentioned, he could have some motivation to, to figure it out and, and become more of a locker room friendly guy. And, and we'll see, you know. I guess how likely do you think a veteran signing is whether that's Earl Thomas or someone else, you know, if you had to put like a percentage chance on it, what would you say? Like 60, 65. 
Uh, I think it's somewhere around there. I think they could roll with Rayshon and Nasir. Um, right. I, I think the Earl Thomas thing, as, you, as, you, as we've been talking about with Gus Bradley, there's a lot of connections there. And I think there's a decent uh, safety market if you just want to go get a depth piece guy. Um, I, I would say it's over 50. I don't know if it's overwhelmingly that they'll do it before week one. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I just, you know, I look at it and it's like, you know, you have really, it's cause it's Gilman, uh, you know, after you get past Nasir and Rayshon, it's just Alohi Gilman at this point. And I feel like you, you got to bring up someone else to be in that rotation. Um, whether that should be a depth piece or Earl Thomas, you know, that's up for debate, but I, I, I think you got to bring in some kind of veteran signing at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I think even if you are looking at, you know, four to six weeks or whatever for Derwin to being out, you know, then you're you're with, like you mentioned, that's three safeties. You have Rayshon, Alohi, and Nasir Adelaide is your only three safeties on the team. And so then if one of them goes down, then you're, you know, you're in a big problem. So for me, I think it makes a lot of sense to bring someone in, you know, relatively soon and get them acclimated to the situation. Um, I did see this other idea going around on Twitter that maybe – you kind of just permanently move Desmond King to safety. And then instead of signing a safety, you sign a, a backup nickel to kind of take his spot, which I think I don't hate that idea. But then again, that, that's a lot of moving parts. And, right. And signing a, a backup nickel is a little different than signing a, a veteran safety. So, um, you know, there's a guy like Brandon Carr and, or Dominique Rogers Cromartie that maybe you could bring in, but, I feel much better about the safety market than I do the corner market at this point. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not sure that I would move King to safety. I, I think that Chris Harris gives you more flexibility and you have the you know option to do that if you want. I just think, you know, and I don't think King would like that either, you know, moving him to a brand new position while he's in a contract year. That um, doesn't right. strike me as something King would like. But, you know, he, he's a team player, and if they really ask him to go with it, he would. But, you know, I just think moving him to safety would be too radical of a change, I guess. But, you know, they, there were rumors he's playing that dimebacker role anyway, but we'll see. Um, yeah, you know, he, he, you tweeted it, and it's kind of a hindsight is 2020 thing, but sure wish Adrian Phillips was here for two years, six million. Um, or even Jalen Watkins. Yeah. Even Jalen Watkins would have been nice. Yeah, Super Bowl 52 champion Jalen Watkins. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I definitely wish there was a Jalen Watkins or, or Adrian Phillips, someone like that. And, um, you know, the way that it played out last year concerns me because, you know, Derwin James went down and we were like, oh, all right, it's not too bad. We have Adrian Phillips. And then in week two, Adrian Phillips broke his arm against the uh, against the Lions. So then we were just kind of boned. The rest of the way so you know i just really hope yeah. you know if the derwin injury is six to eight even more weeks i i really hope that they're they can find a way to keep these guys healthy and find another uh vet signing on the market yeah that's the thing that really scares me because you know obviously with roderick Hamer's suspension you know i i really understand cutting him because you know he wasn't going to play and and he's an undrafted free agent anyway so I understand cutting him, but now if Rayshon Jenkins goes down or something in week two, then you're with Alohi Gilman and Asir Adderley, and those are your only two safeties. So I think even if Derwin 
Derwin's injury is like best case, I still think that they should sign another right, safety yeah. anyway. Um, just to be safe at this point, because you know, even if he has a hamstring, you know, there's a high risk of re-injury with hamstring strains too. So um, I definitely think that they should bring in someone else. Um, so kind of moving on, there were some other injuries from the scrimmage today. Obviously nothing as concrete as Derwin James because we haven't really heard anything, but um, Trey Turner and Justin Jackson were also kind of banged up. And I think there was one more as well. Um, kind of blanking on his name right now, but um, Trey Turner supposedly rolled his ankle and then Justin Jackson just kind of got banged up a little bit. Um, uh, those ones I'm not too stressed out about right now because if they were serious, we would obviously have heard about them. Um, that just seems more of like a general football injury and then maybe on Monday they'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, that, that could just be like a tweak and maybe they'll be out for like one practice. That's That's kind of how it read to me. Uh, I don't think it's something that we should be concerned about uh, in terms of, you know, they're going to miss week one or something. Um, at least not at this point. But, yeah. So, Jackson's foot injury, I guess we'll see exactly what that is, just because foot injuries concern me a little bit more in general. I'm not that concerned about Trey Turner's ankle injury. And I think the last one... Who who was the last? It was a receiver, Right, I I don't remember it all. Oh, Jennings. Jennings, right? Jennings it was Darius Jennings. Yeah, he went down with a leg injury, but you know we'll get into it with our 53-man rosters. But I'm not sure Jennings is making this team anyway. Um, <laughs> so you know, uh, I I don't think any of those injuries as of now uh, are something to be concerned about. But yeah, uh, the Derwin thing is just a crushing blow. It is, man. I feel so bad for him again. Um... So the other big takeaways from the scrimmage uh, today, obviously, you know, again, we're just reading off of, you know, the beat writers and what everybody else is doing right now. Um, the biggest one that I saw really was that Denzel Perryman, um, he started and he played, I think Daniel Popper said he played one series and then that was it for him. And then Kenneth Murray kind of took over. Um, so Kenneth Murray, his injury, his little tiny injury, I guess, you know, is, is over. And it seems that, you know, it, it's full go with Kenneth Murray and it's, it's full speed ahead. And Kenneth Murray is probably going to be the starting linebacker. And, you know, I'm happy about that. I think Kenneth Murray should be able to get all the snaps he can handle and let him fly around and make some plays and, and, you know, giddy up. I'm all excited about him as well. Yeah. I think Kenneth Murray, uh, should have been starting Mike, uh, in general, uh, I think they should still keep Perriman. I know there are rumors about cutting Perriman or something like that. Um, but I'd like to keep him just because of his veteran experience and what he can do on running downs. But, yeah, so I think that, yeah, you're going to have Tranquil probably strong side, then Kenneth Murray at the mic, and then uh, I guess kind of Will would be like a Kaiser White maybe, uh, someone like that. Or, or maybe maybe they'll put Perriman there, I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely going to be some kind of combination of those starting three linebackers kind of being definitely Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil, and then, you know, you could have a Kaiser White as kind of the third in there, so I, I think that would be the way to go, but I wouldn't be surprised if they still have uh, a little bit of a role for Perriman. Yeah, absolutely, and he deserves to at least have some kind of role, and if it's only in short-yarded situations, I think that's totally fine. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about from the scrimmage really is the receiver position because that's kind of been 
the position battle that's most been up in the air. Um, you know, obviously with Mike Williams injured, I think that that has been kind of amplified. Um, and I want to talk about this specifically because Joe Reed uh, was taking reps with the running backs all week, and you know, I'm I, maybe I'm just kind of being a little too uh, paranoid here, but you know, I'm not the biggest fan of him taking reps all week at running back, especially after uh, losing Mike Williams to injury. Uh, what are your thoughts on Joe Reed taking reps with the running backs? And I'm, I'm just being a little too crazy. Well, I think they always envision Joe Reed as being a jack-of-all-trades thing. Like, I think they've always envisioned him as being a wide receiver, kick returner, running back. So I don't know if him taking snaps with the running backs is such a big deal. Uh, I think that, you know, a whole week of it is a bit much, but uh, I guess we'll see where the chips fall there. I, I don't think he's really in a position to be like a, a running back starter or something. I just want, I think they might be experimenting also because they know Joe Reed's making the team. So it might just be a matter of experimenting and putting him in different spots in different uh, places, you know, because he was at wide receiver all until this week. So maybe they want to experiment with him at running back a little bit and see what he can do. Um, so yeah, I, I've said from the beginning that I think Joe Reed can be the uh, is the best third receiver option because I think he has kind of the best combination of speed and kind of route running and the other factors. Right, Jalen Guyton has a lot of speed, but uh, you know, kind of doesn't really catch the ball well. We've we've talked about him being a bit of a body catcher, uh, which can make him prone for some drops, uh, Travis Benjamin style. And so that's kind of my issue with him. And then K.J. Hill has worked almost exclusively out of the slot in college, which isn't great for wide receiver three, plus he's not that fast. So I've always thought Reed was kind of the best compromise um, between those two styles. But him taking taking snaps with the running backs is interesting. Uh, I don't know if I would make a whole lot of it yet. Yeah, I'm probably just being a little too paranoid, which is fine. You know, it's been a long off season, yeah. and there hasn't been right. <laughs> much clarity. Yeah, so. there hasn't been much clarity, and also we never got a preseason, so we we've never really seen yeah. what Reed looks in game action. And then the one time we were gonna see him, I guess this is also something we should mention for the podcast uh, that the scrimmage got canceled oh, yeah. uh, on Thursday. So, but yeah, I thought that Anthony Lynn handled that situation uh, really well, and uh, I'm proud of all the players for standing up. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we should have led with this one, but you know, um, you know, obviously the Derwin James was front and center. Um, there was a lot of, I don't want to say criticism, but a lot of tweets that were um, expressing displeasure about canceling the scrimmage and um, you know maybe not preferring the team get involved in quote unquote politics. I personally, I was so proud of the team for handling it the way that they did, and. You know, in a sport where most of the players are black men, I think, you know, how can you not be affected by what's going on in this country right now? And I don't want to talk about, you know, the political issues right now, but, you know, Tyrod Taylor said it best. He, he said, you know, I'm obviously a football player. I'm aware of my job and I'm aware of what I am to my community. But at the same time, he's I'm a black man and he, you know, felt the need to kind of step up and, and talk about these issues. And I think, you know, all I can do as a white man is just kind of sit and listen and and take his opinions and his feelings to heart and, and maybe look inward and, and, you know, try and figure out what I can do better to to be more supportive of the African-American community. And, 
you know, at the end of the day, they're football players, yes, but they're also human beings. And, you know, they're allowed to have opinions and have feelings about what's going on in this country. And, you know, I was just, obviously I, I was excited about the scrimmage, but I, I was so proud of what they did as individuals, as human beings, the way that they used their platform, I thought was really admirable. And, and they seem fully committed to find, to finding solutions and making change. And that really is, is the most important thing is that it's not just they're talking about it, but they're actually going to be doing things about it as well. Right. And, you know, maybe it's best that we didn't have the scrimmage on Thursday because we probably would have gotten another, like, 10 players injured. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, they made up the scrimmage today. Maybe they'll get another one in at SoFi later on. But, you know, you know they thought they did what they thought was right. And I think doing something like that, you know, can really bring a team together and, you know, really showing your players that you really care about them, that you're listening to their opinions, listening to their feelings. Um, it's just a, a good showing for an organization to really support their players like that. Yeah, I've always thought um, Anthony Lynn was just really impressive, and I think he's always had a good um, feel of the locker room and sort of how everybody's feeling, and obviously everyone was feeling, um, you know, very... Uh, obviously very badly on Thursday uh, in regards to uh, the shooting and everything else that happened afterwards. So, you know, it was just, I think, a matter of, you know, handling it the right way and talking it out. And, you know, even before the NFL Network stuff, you know, they obviously talked about it a lot in the locker room and, uh, you know, talked about, I'm sure, how they were going to approach it, what the right plan was, uh, and the general feelings about, um the shooting in general, but, you know, I think that Anthony Lynn handled that the right way, uh, I think Chargers management handled it the right way, um, and at the end of the day, I think there, you know, uh, there were some quotes about it, I don't remember exactly who said it, um, uh, but they were saying, you know, we could have gone out there and practiced today, uh, practiced and had the scrimmage, but, you know, we actually think that we're a closer team, uh, for having this experience instead, uh, I don't remember who right. said that quote, it's escaping my mind right now, but, yeah, but that was just the general uh, feeling I got. Yeah, and then I think the the last one that really stood out to me was Tom Telesco's thoughts. And, um, you know, first and foremost, we're remembered to, we are remembered by people around us as what we do and how we treat others. And, you know, I think football is football, but treating each other with kindness and respect. And, you know, we mentioned the Chadwick Boseman thing. You never know what anyone's going through. Um, really being a decent human being is what we're going to be remembered for by people around us at the end of the day. Um, so we're going to move on now kind of from the, the more serious topics. We're going to do our 53 man roster predictions. Um, Alex and I have each prepared a list and, um, I think there are going to be a few cases where we are, uh, deferring on, on some players making the roster, but, um, what we get into this first off. The first three that are on both of our lists are Ty Long, Michael Badgley, and Cole Massa. They're the only three specialists on the roster. Obviously, those three are going to make the roster. Um, both of us have Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert on the roster and not Easton Stick. So I'll let you kind of talk about Easton Stick here for a little bit if you want. Um, just your thoughts on, on the Chargers potentially cutting him. So, 
I think the thing about Easton Stick, and it, 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 uh, I apologize to Easton Stick Propaganda if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't so much an Easton Stick uh, decision as like, oh, you know, this guy's not good. First, the first thing is Easton Stick was disadvantaged by not having a preseason, right? Um, just yeah, because the focus absolutely. was so much on Tyrod being the new quarterback, Justin Herbert being obviously this top 10 draft pick that they have, and, you know, and it kind of goes into that as well. You know, you drafted Justin Herbert with the sixth pick. It's like, you know, you have to funnel him as many reps as possible. Like, that's, to me, just the reality of the situation. Um, and I, I don't think Easton Stick was a bad pick, right? It, you know, if you have Easton Stick, I don't think people are going to be running on the waiver wire to go get him if you do cut him. So, you know, you can still, I think, stash him on the practice squad, um, you know, see what you can do with him develop him if you want to uh, a little bit more as, as a quarterback or you know there have been ideas of the safety position with him um but yeah i it's not really an Easton stick thing as much as it just is you know the reality is you took herbert maybe it would be a little bit different if for example the chargers had tyrod and cam or something like that where they had two veteran quarterbacks and then they could have this rookie kind of third stringer learn um, but yeah, you just need to funnel Justin Herbert as many reps as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree. I'm, I'm more than okay with having Easton stick on the practice squad. Um, let's talk about the running backs. Obviously Austin Eckler is going to make it J- Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson. Um, neither of us have any of the other running backs making the roster. Um, would you be willing to maybe take a chance on Derek Gore or Darius Bradwell as maybe a, a fourth running back? No, I, I just think they need more depth at other positions, right? Um, obviously, we need more depth at um, safety now with the Derwin James injury, uh, more depth at other positions too. Um, I think offensive line is a position they want a lot of depth with because uh, of the injuries that they had last year on the offensive line. So, you know, I just don't think it makes sense to go for running backs. Uh, last year, when Melvin Gordon was not on the roster, they had Troy Main Pope. Uh, so they kind of did go four deep last year. Um, but that was a bit of a different situation um, in comparison. And also, Justin Jackson got hurt. So that's why, you know, Troy Main Pope became more necessary. So I, I just think at this point, you run with three running backs and then you stash Derek Gore or Darius Bradwell. Uh, on the practice squad, uh, whichever one you like more. Personally, I lean more towards Derek Gore, but, you know, the Chargers have talked up Darius Bradwell as opposed, uh, you know, when he's not eating, you know, uh, tons of cake or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I would go with one of those two on the practice squad, but I, I just don't think it makes sense to carry four this year. Yeah, I totally agree. And I get, that was a different situation, too, because Pope was so involved on, in special team situations as well as the kick returner. Uh, he did some punt returns as well. Um, our first difference is the wide receiver room. Um, both of our first five are the same, but I actually have a sixth receiver making the roster uh, and Jason Moore. Um, there's been some increasing buzz of late that he's been getting first team reps with uh, alongside Keenan Allen and Jalen Guyton. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to bring up Jason Moore because I don't like trust him fully to be wide receiver two, but I trust him way more than I would trust Jalen Guyton as a wide receiver two. And I trust him way more than, 
you know, a Tyron Johnson or Darius Jennings. Um, I know that Jason Moore is at least capable of catching the ball, and, and you know, he probably brings a little more size than Guyton does. Um, I want to say that Tyron Johnson is the biggest of those three, um, but I do think because of Mike Williams' injury that Jason Moore or maybe Darius Jennings or Tyron Johnson, I think a sixth receiver will make it uh, just because of Mike Williams' injury and and how uncertain his timetable is going forward. I definitely think a sixth receiver is possible. Um, with Jason Moore, I think they might view him as a practice squad guy. I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, they did sign him, I think, to a two-year contract. Um, but, you know, there are six uh, players that are eligible for the practice squad this year, regardless of experience. So I just felt like he fit more there. Um, and I don't know if they desperately need a six receiver that first game. So, you know, I think they will adjust if, you know, say something happens like, you know, uh, if if... Jalen Guyton or KJ Hill or somebody goes down, I think that they'll adjust and, you know, bring in Jason Moore from the practice squad, you know, if he makes it there, uh, or, you know, Jeff Cotton. I think they'll definitely put some receivers on the practice squad. Uh, I just don't have a six making the roster, um, just because they haven't described Mike Williams as, like, a long-term thing, you know, like the worst case, say, for Derwin James is. Um, but we'll kind of see how that goes. I could see them carrying six, though. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's totally possible. And um, Daniel Popper did mention that, uh, obviously, Anthony Lynn's going to have his press conference tomorrow. Um, We are recording on Sunday. So tomorrow, Anthony Lynn will have his press conference, and hopefully they'll get some clarity on both Mike Williams and Derwin James. Um, As for the tight ends, I think it's pretty obvious that Hunter Henry and Virgil Green will make the roster. Um, I have Steven Anderson making the roster, and Alex has Donald Parham making the roster. Um, so I'll kind of start with Steven Anderson. To me, the difference between the two, weirdly, it seems that Donald Parham is a better blocker, <laughs> and Steven Anderson seems a little bit more nuanced in his route running and his, his uh, yards after the catch, which I kind of thought that would be the other way around. Um, so to me, just kind of looking at what they did last year with Lance Kendricks, as the third tight end, obviously he was more of a, a receiving tight end. And so if you're looking at Hunter Henry and Virgil Green as guys who can both block really well, I think to me it makes a lot of sense to have Virgil, the blocking tight end two, and Steven Anderson, the receiving tight end three. Uh, so that's just kind of why I went with Steven Anderson over Donald Parham. I don't know if I'd say Hunter Henry can block really well. <laughs> well, the team thinks he can block really well. I don't think he can block really well. The team thinks he can. Yeah, uh, yeah. The team and uh, some writers on Twitter think he could block really well. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I went Parham just because I really like Parham's physical attributes, and I think they really lend themselves well to being a red zone threat. Uh, we saw him do it yeah. in the XFL last year, or uh, this year, 2020 time is just crazy. Um, Isn't that crazy that that was literally <laughs> like six months ago? Yeah, now the league <laughs> has been finished for like five months. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, I just really like Par- Parma's also good speed. He's a 4'6 guy at 6'8", you know, so that's, imagine, you know, LeBron James just charging at you. <laughs> like, you know, that's he, a good point. He, he's, a, he's a big guy, and I really think that he could work well with hunter henry in some of those packages uh and from some of his film that i saw in the xfl um 
Anderson just feels more replaceable. I don't know, like, I feel like you could go get a Lance Kendricks or someone who could replace Steven Anderson if the situation really called for it. Um, to me, Parham, I just feel like Bill Belichick or someone's going to pick him up on the waiver wire and then we're going to hate ourselves uh, just because he is so physically gifted, even if he's not, you know, totally kind of a, a finished product yet. But uh, I would personally go, I, you know, I think Anderson's going to make the roster if I had to bet but I really want Parham to make the roster over him, so that's kind of that's kind of why I went with a little bit of my uh, how I would make the team there. But yeah, for sure. I, and you can't teach six eight four six, so right. <laughs> you know that definitely would not surprise me. Um, let's move to the fullbacks. Um, Tyler Shoon is going to hate me for this, but um, I do think that Gabe Neighbors is going to make the roster over Bobby Holly. Uh, I love Bobby Holly. I think Bobby Holly is is a Mack truck, and I'm, I really want him to stay on the practice squad. I just think, you know, we haven't really heard, you know, we heard about his one blocking uh, drill against Denzel Perryman, but, you know, there hasn't been much other noise about mm-hmm. him, and we have heard uh, Anthony Lynn and Shane Steichen kind of talk about Gabe Neighbors on a few occasions, so... Just about just taking from what the coaches have said, I think we've heard more about Gabe Neighbors, and so I think Gabe Neighbors is going to make the roster over Bobby Holly. Yeah, I also have Gabe Neighbors making it over Bobby Holly. I I just think the Chargers really value versatility and guys who can do multiple things. And if you are kind of watching practice and they think that the blocking between Neighbors and Holly is about even then I think that you have to go with the guy that you think is a little more versatile and can do more. Um, You know, the thing that really disadvantages Holly, because he is that kind of uh, specifically, you know, physical fullback, right? You know, he's not going out, splitting out on routes or doing anything like that, right? He is a kind of prototypical fullback. The thing that disadvantaged him is, you know, he just didn't have an offseason, and that was, or sorry, preseason, not offseason. Um just not having the preseason was very difficult for him, and I think that he could have kind of shown uh, what he could do, but I think the Chargers are going to lean more in the direction of Gabe Neighbors, who's more similar, I think, to Derek Watt um, than I think Bobby Holly is, but, you know, we'll see. It's it's all about what kind of fullback I think they want. Do you want that more prototypical fullback, or do you want that kind of versatility, right? Uh, and I don't think either would be a bad option. I, I actually like both of them quite a bit. Yeah, I do think both of them would be good options. I think my personal preference has always been Holly, just because of the physical presence that he would bring as a blocker. Um, but you know, if they think that neighbors can be, you know, I think Derek Watt was a little underutilized, but mm-hmm. he also wasn't like super versatile as a receiver. Like he could do it on occasion. Um, but if they think neighbors can be kind of a Kyle Uzcheck player. I, then absolutely, like, you know, you take advantage of that kind of skill set. Um, as for the offensive line, I have nine offensive linemen making the roster. Um, you have ten, right? Yes. So my nine making it are Sam Tevy, Dan Feeney, Mike Pouncey, Trey Turner, Brian Balaga. That's obviously the starting five. Uh, and then I have them keeping both backup tackles, Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton. And then Forrest Lamp and Scott Quessenberry. Um I think, you know, the first mention here is going to be either a Trent Scott or Ryan Groy. Um, I just think both of those players could be practice squad type players, and I don't really 
like either that much. You know, Trent Scott uh, is not good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so obviously when Trey Turner, his ankle injury was announced today, you know, I had people asking me like, well, what about Trent Scott starting? Trent Scott being the starting right guard, uh, going up against Geno Atkins and then Chris Jones in back-to-back weeks uh, is a terrifying thought. <laughs> I do not want any kind of part of that. I think Forrest Lamp should be the starting right guard in that case. Um, but I just don't think Trent Scott is all that good. And Ryan Groy, you know, you can find guys like him all the time throughout the season, uh, which they did last year. Um, who is your 10th one that you have making it? No, I, th- I think that was the difference between our two. We ha- So, yeah, I had... Uh, let me look here. Yeah, I had Balaga, Tevi, Norton, Pipkin, Scott, uh, Feeney, Turner. No, okay, I had nine. Yeah, so I had uh, Balaga, Tevi, Norton, Pipkin, Scott, and Feeney, Turner, Groy, Lamp. Okay. Yeah, so. So you had you didn't have Scott Questenberry making it. So you had oh. Scott instead of Questenberry. No, no, I had Scott Quest. Okay, no, yeah, I had Scott Questenberry in my uh, centers. Yeah, so I I had. Pouncy and Scott uh, Questenberry in my centers. Yeah, so I had uh, I guess I had eleven offensive linemen. <laughs> Maybe I didn't think this out that well. Uh, but I mean, honestly though, I think this is a team that kind of needs offensive linemen. If you ask me which one I think would get cut for my roster, it would be a Trent Scott, maybe a Ryan Roy. But it, yeah, I still see a use for Groy, and they've been saying he's had a good camp. Um, you know, so from a depth standpoint, and we saw how injuries took out the offensive line last year, so I could see them going 10 deep, maybe not 11, but I could see them going definitely uh, 10 deep just to kind of reaffirm the depth, and uh, Anthony Lynn's talked about how he's like Trent Scott, you know, that's (laughs) debatable point. So so frustrating. (laughs) Debatable Um, point at this point, but I I definitely think you keep uh, Scott Questenberry, Mike Pouncey. To, to me, the mu- the must-keeps are uh, Tevi, Norton, Pipkins, Balaga, and then probably Feeney, Turner, Lamp uh, in terms of them, and then obviously Pouncey and Scott Questenberry. So I think I think Roy and Trent Scott, Lamp is a potential, maybe he gets cut, but you know I just don't think they're deep enough at go. I think at minimum we'll see one of Ryan Groy or Trent Scott get cut because um, I think typically NFL teams keep nine or sometimes 10 offensive linemen. Um, so we we're probably looking at both Groy and Scott being cut or maybe Scott Questenberry, which would be so unfortunate. Uh, I, I would really hate that. Um, so we'll move on to the tackle defensive tackles. Um, Linval Joseph, Justin Jones, Jerry Tillery, uh, and then I have Damien Square and Cortez Broughton or Bruffton or however you say it, making it as well. Um, you have all five of those too, right? Yeah, I'm Joseph Jones, Square, Tillery, Bruffton. Um, so right down the middle. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's, you know, I think there could be an argument that maybe Bruffton could be a practice squad player, but I, I think just they're not deep enough at D-tackle to really put in there. Maybe if they had another uh, kind of nose tackle or something like that. Um or just another inside presence, they could do that. But I think you have Joseph uh, Joseph and Jones kind of as your starting uh, ones. Then uh, Tillery is kind of that uh, one that rotates in. And then you have Tillery. Uh, Tillery is uh, 
or no, sorry, yeah, you have Tillery is kind of the one that rotates in, Square as a bit of a depth backup, but he can definitely still play uh, decent snaps, and then uh, Bruffton is probably that fifth guy, I think. Yeah, heading into camp, I probably thought that um, one of Joe Gaziano or uh, Cortez were going to be getting cut. Um, it, you know, Joe Gaziano uh, just has been hurt. You know, we haven't seen him practicing a whole lot, and so I think for me that was really the difference. And we've heard good things about uh, Bruffton as a pass rusher and 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 his development. You know, adding some strength this offseason. So. I think that was a pretty easy call for me. And if someone could really tweet us and let us know, is it Broughton or Bruffton? Because I've heard it both ways. If anyone really knows how to say that, please let us know. It's the new Tyrod Tyrod debate. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So defensive ends, uh, obviously Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Uchenna Unwosu, and then I have Isaac Rochelle as well. Yeah, I had the Um, same four. I had uh, Gaziano the first time that I ran through it, but then I realized I forgot the fullback, so (laughs) I uh, I threw (laughs) Gaziano off. But I definitely think Gaziano, even though he's not practicing, I definitely think he was one of their more high-priority undrafted free agents, so I definitely think he can crack the practice squad even if he's not practicing. Um I, I like his ability as a potential uh, kind of Bosa backup. So, you know, I, I hope he sticks around uh, on the practice squad despite the uh, kind of tough preseason for uh, preseason, tough offseason for him. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And uh, I remember after the draft was over, it was uh, kind of speculated that the two undrafted free agents that the Chargers most wanted were Gaziano and A.J. Green, the corner from Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't remember where A.J. Green ended up, but obviously they got Gaziano. Um, and I, I think if he had been healthy and practicing, I think he probably would have made the roster because uh, I think as a Bosa backup, he's got the ideal skill set of strength, speed. You know, he had 30 sacks at Northwestern, so you know it's not like he just didn't produce or anything. Right. So uh, hopefully he can stick around. Um, we both have seven linebackers, obviously Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil, and then Denzel Perryman, Kaiser White. Uh, Nick Vigil are universal. And then I have Emeke Egbule and Malik Jefferson making it as well. Yeah, so I also have Malik Jefferson uh, making it. I think he's a good depth piece. Uh, I sort of went kind of either or here. Emeke Egbule is definitely a guy that has experience on this team, but uh, I've actually been watching a lot of Asmar Bilal footage recently. Uh, He's actually a really solid kind of coverage linebacker. Uh, can also kind of uh, run downhill and stop the run. Uh, and, you know, he is he has one of Telesco's most important qualities, which is that he went to the University of Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> and that's very important when picking the roster. Um, but I, I really liked what I've seen of him. We haven't heard a ton about him in camp. Uh, but I, I like what I saw of him. He's kind of like a little bit of a less athletic Akeem Davis-Gaither a little bit. We talked about him in the pre-draft process, uh, and that's kind of what I see a little bit in his game. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he cracks it. Uh, but, I, you know, I think either way, the Chargers are definitely going to keep uh, one of those two, I think, on the practice squad and one of them on the roster. But, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of went 50-50 there. I guess I'd lean towards Igboule just because he was on the roster last year. But... Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty clear top six, and then uh, you'll have one extra with Egg Boulay and uh, or someone else. 
you know, I can't wait to see uh, which Notre Dame defensive player Telesco gets next year because if uh, Bilal makes the roster, then that means the Chargers are basically three Notre Dame defensive players away from fielding an entire Notre Dame <laughs> starting defense, which would be hilarious to watch. Yeah, um, I I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I I like Malik Jefferson a lot out of college. It obviously didn't work out in Cincinnati. Um, I think he brings a lot of athleticism and upside to the position. It's just a matter of him, you know, putting it together. And then uh, it's worth mentioning here that Nick Vigil, uh, the kind of buzz around him has been increasing as of late. He had an interception in the scrimmage today, um, and I'm not expecting him to start or anything like that, but. You know, in terms of being having a backup linebacker and having a nice, you know, couple backup linebackers, I think the Chargers are in so much of a better situation than they have been in the past because they have, they'll have Perryman, they'll have Vigil, um, and then Egbele and Jefferson or, or Bilal if they can take some steps towards developing. I think the Chargers linebacker room is in a nice spot. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, we'll kind of wrap it up here with the corners and then the safeties. For corners, I think it's it's fairly easy. Um, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, Michael Davis are the starting trio, and then Desmond King and Brandon Faison. We haven't really hold, heard a whole lot about any of the undrafted free agents that they signed um, outside of one of them getting lit up today in practice. Um, other than that, we haven't really heard much. I think those five are pretty set in stone. Yeah, I think those five or seven stone. Just when you talk about Hayward, Harris, King, Davis, it's part of the reason they're one of the best secondaries in the league. Is just uh, they have really solid uh, starters all around, and then Faison is a really solid depth piece, right? Uh, him being kind of a backup corner um, is pretty solid to have as your depth. So um, yeah, I think Hayward, Harris, King, Davis, all locks. Uh, Face on, I guess, could be challenged, but it doesn't seem like any, really any of the undrafted corners have uh, made a concerted effort to challenge him in any way. So I think it's just going to be those five. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And then I put five safeties uh, after the Derwin James news came out. Um, so I have Derwin, Rayshon, Gilman, Adderley, and then insert veteran free agent here. So um, I think that that could be an option to kind of take away maybe from an offensive line spot or maybe Cortez Broughton or Brufton or maybe a linebacker kind of situation. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. Cause I, I made my list before Derwin James got hurt. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I had four safeties with Derwin, Rayshon, Nassar, Nassar and Gilman. Obviously if Derwin's injury is a very extended one, or even if it's not, um, there could definitely be a fifth safety brought in. Uh, such as the you know the options that we talked about earlier, maybe a splash play for Earl Thomas, something like that. Um, but yeah, I definitely think they're probably going to put an extra safety now, and then you know if we're going to revise this list I've made, probably take off one of Trent Scott or Ryan Groy, and then put an extra safety in there. That probably would be how I would do it. But yeah, um, this goes back to how much of a bummer the Derwin James thing is. But yeah, that's uh, that's football. Yeah. It's, you know, it is really unfortunate. And the other thing that I'm kind of noticing as we're doing this whole list is that uh, the only undrafted free agent from this year that we have making it is Gabe Neighbors. Um, So I think, you know, it would be interesting if there were a full preseason to see, you know, maybe a Darius Pratt will make it or or, uh, Asmar Bilal. Well, you mentioned him too, so he's definitely a possibility. Um, 
But it would have just been interesting to see who could have made it with a full offseason. Um, any other standouts to you about our predictions here? No, uh, I think it's pretty set in stone that these are the guys. I don't know if there's a lot of position battles uh, that aren't settled at this point. I think there's more like depth chart battles, right? Like there's the battle for wide receiver three or, you know, who wins between Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly to get more snaps uh, or more carries. But, you know, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of, um, you know, who's going to make the team type battles this year. Um, granted, there weren't a lot last year either, but I would say this year it doesn't feel like um, an overwhelming amount of competition. It feels like we kind of have most of the roster, probably like 45 of the guys really set, and then there's kind of, you know, some could go either ways. But, um, you know, no, I think that the roster is pretty, is set up pretty well outside of the Derwin nuke we took today. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, uh, yeah. It's kind of depressing. Yeah, everyone just needs to say a prayer tonight that it's just a hamstring injury. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting to really see. Really, our only differences were uh, Steven Anderson, Donald Parham, or six receivers versus five, and then nine offensive linemen versus ten. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, most of it feels kind of set in stone right now. Um, they're going to go with the veteran players, it feels like, more than not. Um yeah, they have to cut by Friday, right? Or by Saturday. You're right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously the final cuts will be tough to watch, and then they get 16 spots for the practice squad, um, which Alex did a full article on Bolt Beat about that. And um, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? No, uh, that's about it for today. Um, yeah, just been a tough week this week uh, in a lot of ways. Um so yeah, I hope everyone's still doing uh, good out there. And uh, if you're drafting in fantasy, don't draft the running backs like I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to talk about this this fantasy draft <laughs> that we had for a second um, because we did a bolt beat league last year, and we had 14 guys sign up, um, which is obviously an orthodox uh, number. Usually, you get like 10 or 12, or in some cases, I've heard 16. Um, but really, 14 is not that super common. Um, so I just want to kind of talk about this for a second because there were some really funny picks. Um, our friend Jack took Bobby Holly in the last <laughs> round, which I think he just did that for, for fun more than anything else. Um, but how are you feeling about your team overall, man? Uh, I feel pretty good about it. Running back is the one place where I'm like sort of uh, conflicted on. I feel like maybe I could have done more. Um, but... You know, at the same time, there gets a point in the year where running backs kind of become sort of streamer picks, right, once there's a bunch of injuries. Um, so, yeah, I, my running backs ended up being Raheem Mostert, Cam Akers, uh, Boston Scott, and Sean McCoy. So it isn't the best running back group, <laughs> but I did overcompensate a little bit with the receivers because I got Mike Thomas, Keenan Allen, Edelman, Jones Jr., uh, Robbie Anderson and Emmanuel Sanders. So my re- my receiver room turned out well. Uh, and I guess I'm running with kind of the young guns at quarterback because I took <laughs> Joe Burrow and Drew Locke. Uh, so, you know, I kind of like taking the quarterbacks a little bit later. That's my general draft philosophy. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely kind of rolling the dice with two young guys this year. Yeah, and that's, you know, rolling the dice, that's what you're doing in a 14-man fantasy football league because... 
really once you get to like round six, it's like my six round pick was CD Lamb <laughs> to give some reference. And um, I have Ezekiel Elliott. He was my first pick last year, and so obviously I have to. You know, I don't have to, but you know I have to take a pick on Tony Pollard. Um, so it just is. It's a challenge because there's so many people. Um, so I think really. I think you've set the foundation at the draft and then really throughout trades and waiver wire. That's how you win a league like this. Um, but I'm excited because I have the best tight end in the sport. Uh, I don't have to worry about the crappy tight end carousel going on every single week. Um, so George Kittle is going to be great for me. And I'm just excited, man. I, I was really skeptical that the season was going to happen uh, up until about three or four weeks ago. And so I didn't put a ton of work into fantasy football this year, but I'm excited about having it back and being able to uh, talk some trash every week to our fellow Bobby writers. <laughs> yeah. So that was a good Ross. That was a good episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our predictions. Um, make sure you check out our social media page and our Patreon page and keep an eye out for the articles that Alex and I are working on. Um, we have a fun few episodes coming up. We're going to interview Fernando Ramirez, obviously the uh, sports illustrated reporter for the chargers. And then next Sunday, we're going to do our bolt beat round table where we all predict, uh, you know, Chargers record and Chargers MVP and stuff like that. And that'll be certainly a lot of fun. And then next week is uh, game week, man. You know, football is, is inching closer and closer and uh, finally getting to do an episode where we actually talk about, you know, an opponent preview is going to be a lot of fun uh, coming up with the Cincinnati Bengals week. Yeah, Sitsi Week is coming up, and uh, fuck Ohio. Let's get that going. Just the whole state <laughs> got to burn down, all right? So that's our, adi- that's our attitude for week one. So let's get that trending on Twitter. <laughs> Hashtag fuck Ohio. <laughs> Excellent. And, and the show on the strong note, man. I love it. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure you give us a review or rating if you haven't already. We do really appreciate those. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. See you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.